0: Welcome to Sports Medicine Weekly on 670 The Score, your on-air resource for fitness, nutrition, and injury prevention and treatments for today's weekend warrior and professional athletes. With renowned specialist of elbows, knees, and shoulders, Dr. Brian Cole, along with other health and fitness leaders, and your host, Steve Cashel. Sports Medicine Weekly, heard every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. right here on
1: 670 The Score.
0: And here we go, another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Hi, everyone. I'm Steve Cashel, Chicago Bulls radio host, joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Brian Cole, head team physician with the Chicago Bulls, also one of the team physicians with the Chicago White Sox. He is a sports medicine specialist, orthopedic surgeon at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. How are you, Dr. Cole, this morning? I'm doing great, Steve. Fantastic. Hey, Art, opening, we got a lot to do, so we're going to get right to it. Um, We're going to talk about uh, the Tissue Procurement Agency right here in the uh, Chicago area, Gift of hope, and I know they are instrumental in your practice of orthopedic surgery. Yeah, right? just
1: in, in you know to cut to the chase, the part of the reason we are so successful is that we can we can predictably place tissue for our patients, and we are a, an organ procurement state. So my colleagues who do cartilage transplants around the country sometimes have tremendous difficulty because. They are not geographically near an OPO or an organ procurement organization or the agencies that actually help with uh, the, the families, the donor families and so forth. So, you know, when people come from all over the world to Chicago, in part because we have really we have high quality, unbelievable processes and access to, to uh, tissue donors that not everyone has so it's a huge important part of our practice and it's largely why we've become a tertiary center for cartilage transplantation
0: let's bring on two experts uh... who know more about this first uh... kevin Samant, the president ceo of gift of hope organ and tissue donor work network based out of itasca and also shannon wyatt joining us as well she is a donation specialist for gift of hope organ and the tissue donor network thanks so much uh... Kevin and Shannon, for joining us right to the questions. Hey, how has donation been going? Uh,
2: Fantastic in the past year, Steve and Brian. We increased our tissue donation numbers by almost 70% last year, thanks to the incredible generosity of of, uh, the residents of Illinois and Northwest Indiana, Um, and thanks to folks like Dr. Cole, who continue to find ways to honor the gift of donation and help people through his uh, incredible surgeries.
1: It is I will tell you, Kevin, it's a it is a full circle, you know, and I I love when you guys have the opportunity to come to the operating room and see some of our patient stories. But, you know, it's it's really important for everyone that you work with at Gift of Hope to know what they're doing in the end. And I'm just, you know, joint pain. There's hearts, there's lungs, there's liver, you know, there's a lot more critical illnesses that you deal with. But that being said, when you have a musculoskeletal problem and you can't be active and you have pain, this is a it's an unbelievable game changer. And, you know, I have, you know, hundreds of success, hundreds of success stories due to the work that you guys do.
2: Well, and that's really the key for us is having those success stories. When we meet families on the worst day of their lives, they've lost the most important person in their lives. We get a chance to rewrite that story. And when they say yes to donation, they give us this tremendous gift, their loved one, and all they ask is that we honor that gift and make something good happen for somebody. So, you know, you're right, the ability to work with uh, incredible physicians like you and the transplant docs on the organ side gives us that chance to honor those families and give them a living legacy.
0: Yeah, interesting that you said giving the gift to families. Uh, Can you explain more? What do you guys mean?
2: Yeah, and I'm going to let Shannon talk about her experiences, but, you know, the, the, the benefits to a family when they've often lost someone early in in life, um, their story has not been fully written. And the act of saying yes to donation and the ability to create a legacy for that loved one uh, really changes the end of that story from one of total tragedy to triumph. Um, And that's what I mean by saying giving the gift of donation. It truly is a gift to the family.
0: Shannon, what can you add to that? Do you have a story to tell?
3: I do. I know there is a woman that has a de novo procedure done and that's um, particularly performed by junior cartilage or some family member who has lost, you know, a very young child. And they may not be able to be organ donors, some may, but, um, you know, we request for those special graft tissues to be able to help someone. And I think the favorite part of my story that she shared um, was that she wrote a letter to the donor family in the eyes of their child, mm. you know, and said, I'm, I'm a mom. I have kids myself. I'm able to play soccer with my kids. She traveled all over the world and basically shared, um, you know, where she's traveled to, to kind of make it seem like that their their son is has traveled to all these places too. And um, a lot That's of people cool. don't give tissue credit as much as organs, and that's why I want to start spreading awareness that tissue is just important as organ donation
1: as well. Yeah, I just to let people know, de novo is uh, juvenile cartilage, so it's a procedure that we do um, that you it requires obviously a very special donor, and I've had donors as young as eight to thirteen years old for our transplants, including de novo. So it's uh, and I, that story is amazing, and I've had a number of patients who've reached out to the donor families through you. And um, that's, how you, that's how you make the loop, uh, that's how you close the loop. And uh, it's, it's part, I, I imagine it's a critical part of the healing process.
0: Again, we're talking about tissue donation and how tissue grafts play an important role in sports medicine. Uh pretty much have to wrap it up, but um, let's talk finally about the, uh, the living legacy, uh, Kevin, if we can.
2: Yeah, you know, it's, it's really incredible to see uh, these families. I meet them oftentimes at a memorial service uh, six months or a year after, after their act of, of kindness. Um, and really, uh, that gift is incredible. And, and one of the things that we can all do to help our families is register to be an organ and tissue donor. You can go to giftofhope.org. Uh, it's very easy. It takes about 45 seconds. Just need your driver's license. And by registering, you just let your family know that you want to help somebody uh, in the uh, instance where you might leave this earth.
0: Great stuff, Kevin Smutt and Shannon Wyatt. From the gift of hope, we thank you for joining us here on Sports Medicine Weekly. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And Dr. Cole, next topic. Our next guest, Patrick Polly from Athletico. He is the head athletic trainer for the Chicago Dogs, professional baseball team, as well as the Midwest Orthopedics at Rush Sports Performance Center, which I'm getting uh, hearing
1: rave reviews. It's awesome there. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to start Oprah. there myself. Yeah. So Steve's a little over two weeks. I can share. We've been online. We actually took your stitches out online, so it's okay now. No, yes. hi- no HIPAA violation. Live right? on the radio. Yeah. yeah. Last week. Okay. So uh, yes, you're going to do your physical therapy there. It's a beautiful facility on York Road in Oakbrook. Brook. Uh, it's, it's a large space, big windows, the therapists are wonderful. It just It's a happy environment to do your rehab. It's, like the, it's the best health club environment for physical therapy you'll, you've probably seen. Uh, so you'll love it there. I can't wait for you to go.
0: Yeah, people have told me about it. I've gone past it, and it's it looks amazing. So really I'm, I'm excited pretty, yeah, to do not, the yeah, therapy just, there. I really am. You will. Well, let's bring on Patrick. And uh, Patrick, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Chicago Dogs professional baseball team. They had their first year in that beautiful ballpark in Rosemont. Um, uh, how did it go year number one?
4: Uh, year number one was a lot of fun. We, we got off to a little bit of a slow start, but... Uh made some personnel changes along the way and got more comfortable with the team. And uh, we said, if we had like another month of, of the season, we would have uh, definitely uh, been a threat to the playoffs for sure.
1: Yeah. Patrick was great to work. He's a, you were a pitching coach at one point. Is that right?
4: Yeah. So yeah. I was a pitching coach uh, in high school for uh, seven years. Yeah.
1: So he's got an amazing baseball IQ. Uh, Greg Nicholas and I were the team physicians for the uh, Chicago dogs. And, you know, fortunately we only had a couple of injuries, but a lot of players come through it, you know, and just to get st- stability. But, your knowledge is amazing, and your baseball iQ is amazing so i've I've learned a lot from you, and uh, i just I appreciate it. You know one of the things we wanted to bring up today um, uh, this this morning was would you be able to just go over with us and our listeners the sort of the easiest thing for an athlete to prevent uh, overarm throwing injuries overhead injuries?
4: Yeah, sure, so you know we know the majority of uh, throwing related injuries are chronic or overuse injuries. So the easiest thing or the thing that's going to require the least amount of physical effort is to make sure that you're not throwing too much. You know, we, we need to make sure that our throwers are getting appropriate rest uh, and recovery. And, you know, USA baseball and major league baseball combined to develop the pitch smart initiative, which offers pitch count and rest recommendations for all ages. It's a great resource. And then in addition to recovering between throwing sessions, it's also really important to recover after the season. You want to take like two or three months off from throwing, the uh, American Sports Medicine Institute found that pitchers who compete more than eight months out of the year were five times uh, as likely to suffer an injury that required surgery. So that rest between starts and rest after the, the um, season is really important.
1: That's interesting. I actually didn't know. I, I'm always going on the, the fact of 10 months for a, sp- a single sport. So they showed specific to pitchers that it was eight months or more not taking a break. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, c- uh, competitively. Yeah, very interesting.
0: Visiting with Patrick Pauley from Athletico and head athletic trainer with the Chicago Dogs professional baseball team. I'm Steve Cashel, Dr. Brian Cole at Sports Medicine Weekly. Give us some ways, then, Patrick, to prepare the body for overarm uh, throwing in order to prevent injury.
4: Yeah, so a comprehensive strength and conditioning program is vital for any kind of sports performance and injury prevention, particularly in throwing. Obviously, throwers want to strengthen the muscles of the arm, like the rotator cuff. But we also have to make sure that we're strengthening the entire body. Throwing is about the transfer of force, basically from the lead foot up through the kinetic chain, the legs, the hips, the core, the back, all the way through to the other uh, opposite hand. And weakness anywhere in the chain is going to force any other part of the body to work harder, like the shoulder or the elbow. And because the throwing motion is so dynamic, changes uh, in the timing of the kinetic change due to that weakness is can increase the load on the joints. So any training is gonna to need to incorporate uh, balance and stability as well as range of motion. And we also know that pitching while fatigued can increase your risk of injury. So it's important to work on your aerobic capacity as well as your strength and your balance and your and your range of motion.
0: How does video analysis, Patrick, uh, help with overarm throwing?
1: Yeah, Patrick, when you answer that, maybe share a little bit about what we put in a rope at uh, the Oakwood facility. And I just wanna make, it's known that Steve, you know, you mentioned, I'm gonna to go to an athletic facility out by you. All of our physical therapists are athletico trained. Okay, yeah, and our trainers. So I'm curious, Patrick, when you look at the video analysis uh, setup we have there, uh, what are you doing, and uh, how is it working with our athletes?
4: Yeah, so you know, proper rest and recovery, and appropriate strength and conditioning programs are integral for performance and injury prevention. So if you're not using the proper mechanics, there's a really good chance you're going to get eventually get injured anyway. The good news is there's a lot of options out there for the throwing mechanics, whether it's Using an app on your phone, or we've got you know video throwing analysis at our Athletico clinics, as well as as you mentioned the Midwest of Peaks at Rush uh, Sports Performance in Oakbrook. Um, so if we come in for a thrower's functional sport assessment, uh, we'll, we'll do the video throwing analysis and we'll look at the entire chain. But a big part of that as well is that we're going to look at your range of motion and your hips and your uh, thoracic rotation and your shoulders and some different strength testings because you know you can look at the video analysis and say, oh, well, you need to do this, you need to get your foot over here, but there could be some physical limitations as to why you're not getting into that position. So the nice thing about um, the Sports Performance Center is that we also offer these follow-up sessions where we're going to target, you get one-on-one with myself or Dave, um, we're going to target any limitations that we're going to find there um, and work on those for your strength and your range of motion.
0: Great stuff. Patrick, out of time. Appreciate it. And again, visiting with Athletico's Patrick Pauley, head athletic trainer for the Chicago Dogs baseball team, as well as Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, new sports performance center. Thanks, Patrick.
4: Thank you very much, guys.
0: Appreciate it. Coming up next on Sports Medicine Weekly, the staple of the show, Ask the Doctor. You get a chance to ask Dr. Cole a question. We'll tell you how to do it after this on Sports Medicine Weekly, only on 670 The Score. You're listening to Sports Medicine Weekly with Dr. Brian Cole and Steve Cashel on 670 The Score. the proceeds from our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. This is Sports Medicine Weekly, Chicago's premier sports medicine program. It comes your way each and every Saturday morning from 8 to 8.30, only on 670 The Score. Our producer, board operator, Shane Reardon, coordinating producer as always, Teresa Ann Seeger with Dr. Brian Cole, the head team physician of the Chicago Bulls. My name is Steve Cashel. Thanks so much for being with us as we talk about sports injuries. And time now for Ask the Doctor. Always doing Ask the Doctor at the end of the show each and every week. It's very easy. If you want to get involved, just go to our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com. And on the homepage, go to the right side, you'll see the picture of Dr. Cole and myself, and underneath that, you can click on the link, and you can ask the doctor, and I've got a couple of good ones here for you, Dr. Cole. Let's get started. Uh, the first question, asking you and saying this, from time to time, my knee will lock and painfully
1: pop. I have had this
0: pain for almost three years now. What do you suggest?
1: So painful popping, so Lots of knees and shoulders and joints pop, and in that fact, I've often thought about having a sign at my front desk. Steve, you've been to our office. I said, Look, if you're here because your joints are popping, but you have no pain, swelling, or injury, go home. Turn around and go home, okay? <laughs> because I'm just going to give you some reassurance. But painful popping, and in a knee specifically, in this question, can be something uh, that uh, is due to an underlying abnormality. So. If you've had, if there's any swelling associated with it, that's one I would say you should see an orthopedic surgeon uh, or a primary care sports, you know, someone who does, has the ability to evaluate a knee. So painful popping with swelling is is a generally more ominous finding of something wrong inside a joint. Painful popping without swelling can be a variety of things. And, you know, it can be a, a sign of something as simple as a condition called a plica, Steve. A plica is when there's this band that we all have in our knee. Like when we're in the embryo, our joints are sort of compartmentalized and there's these membranes that sort of divide it into compartments. And then as we develop in our, you know, in utero and so forth, these membranes go away, but sometimes they incompletely go away and they leave a shelf of tissue in the joint. Really? And that can become painful as an adult. Everyone's got one, but most people don't, are not bothered by it. So a painful plica can cause popping in the front inner side of the knee. That's one source. Another can be a meniscal tear. Uh, That's usually along the joint lining, but that's more often associated with a known traumatic event uh, or um, swelling. Uh, It could be a cartilage flap. Uh, The surface of the joint could have a flap of cartilage. Um, Those are probably the three most common sources of painful popping, some type of cartilage problem, the articular cartilage, some type of meniscus, the other type of cartilage, and or this plica, which is a band of soft tissue. Those are probably one, two, and three, respectively. You should get it checked out if it's limiting your 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 ability to exercise. It's not that it's dangerous to ignore. Most of the things I deal with are not dangerous to ignore, you know? And I use that a lot as reassurance. The real issue is is the pain at a level that's dissatisfying to you and you can't remain active and that's the time that you want to seek action. All right, next question,
0: Uh, Dr. Cole, and this happened to me, so this is interesting that this person wrote this in, I have pain at night with my shoulder, it gets tight, it wakes me up during sleep,
1: what is it? Night pain is really fascinating because it's the number one complaint that will move the needle for someone to have significant treatment. When you can't sleep because of joint pain, that's the time most people say, you know what, I've got to go see a physician for help. So we don't entirely know why it happens. We just know the conditions that cause it, okay? My theory is that, you know, during the day you're active, you're moving around, uh, your stiffness is kind of worked out of your joints. You have synovial fluid, joint lining and all your uh, joint fluid in all your joints because you're using your joint. And it sort of conditions, it's like lubricated. It's like having a a piston that's moving up and down in a, in a manifold, right? That's that's moving smoothly and doesn't have any resistance. And plus, you got lots and lots of external stimulation. You're not you're not able to focus on one thing physically. When you sleep at night, you're usually not moving around. Things have this propensity to get stiff. It's like this glue or gelling phenomenon that happens. And so joint stiffness gets uh, becomes more prevalent. You're not seeing a lot of external stimuli. You're not walking around moving, you doing things, thinking and being active, but you're kind of just laying there, and you have not a lot of things that just detract from your uh, uh, susceptibility to feel a joint problem. And then finally, the things that cause it are often a little more serious. In other words, it can be rotator cuff tears. It can be uh, significant arthritis. It can be significant tendonitis. I think for your condition, your your biceps tendinitis. Um, and small amount of arthritis. You had a lot of night pain, didn't you?
0: I did absolutely every night. I could not roll over on that right side, and then as you said, it was just so tight and stiff. And then you get right. up and you try to move it around. It feels a little better. I can. I'm a good sleeper. I go back to sleep. Right. And let me ask you people, a question. Yeah. Were you
1: did you go? Were you able to fall asleep, and then you were awakened? Yes. Yeah, that's what I think happens. Yep, it's absolutely. not that you can't go to sleep, but you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't move it. It's stiff. Right. So I think that. It's that gelling phenomenon that leads to a lot of it. So when people say I have night pain, I always have to ask, when do you have it? You know, and it's usually not when you just go to bed. It's usually, like you say, it wakes you up. Yes. Because your arm has been in, for the shoulder, for example, has been in one position for a prolonged period of time.
0: Well, I had, again, arthritis and a biceps uh, tendonitis problem. So are there other things? You mentioned rotator cuff. What else is in the shoulder well, that could some, be a problem? there's some, you know,
1: there's some, it's rare. There are some ominous conditions that cause night pain. But, <clears throat> you know, those are really rare. Those are zebras. Um, I'd say that uh, the most common reason I, end up fixing a rotator cuff, for example, is because the patients have night pain, difficulty sleeping. So rotator cuff tears can classically cause night pain. Uh, Osteoarthritis or loss of cartilage of the shoulder joint can lead to night pain. Uh, Tendinitis, any inflammatory process can lead to night pain. Uh, Those, you know, and again, this is the, this is not a, a traumatic situation. This is one where someone's had an underlying degenerative condition and they present was a longer history of symptoms, and one of the things they complain of is is this difficulty while sleeping or after they've gone to sleep it wakes them up.
0: All right, uh, again, Steve Cashel, Doctor Brian Cole, Sports Medicine Weekly. It's our Ask the Doctor segment, and. Actually, our producer, Shane Reardon, here on 670 The Score, has a question that he's been wanting to get in, so we're going to open up the mic. And Shane, what's your question for our doc?
1: Doctor, we're coming up towards the end of March, beginning of April, when a lot of these men's and co-ed softball leagues are starting here in the city. Now, as somebody who works out maybe four times a week, doesn't do a ton of extreme activity, What should I be doing to prepare my body for going hard at softball once a week but nothing more? Very sporadic, extreme exercise. Well, Shane, despite being the physical specimen that you are, even you are susceptible to injury, okay? So, you know, the big challenge is I bet your workouts are, you know, you're probably doing a a fairly consistent regimen. You're doing weights. Maybe you're doing a little cardio and so forth, but you're not doing any cardio. Yeah, so I think think that, yeah, I think that that's the biggest uh, uh, potential risk is that you're going to let the adrenaline flow. You're going to be super competitive. You probably don't need to be getting in shape to hit a hit a softball. No, but as soon as you hit that ball, you're gonna take off to first base, and the first thing that's gonna do is you're gonna pull a hammy. Okay, okay. So you doing some type of higher intensity training, uh, even for short periods of time, burst tr- training, if you will, um, to work on slow and fast twitch muscle fibers can probably be the saving grace to prevent it. Because you know what happens is. You sprint and then you slow down and your muscles are still lengthening. It's called eccentric lengthening where the muscles contract and lengthen at the same time against load. And that's when guys like us pull hamstrings. I can tell you, I stopped doing uh, the uh, turkey turkey bowls on uh, sure. over Thanksgiving a long time ago because every year I would go and you sort of forget. You think you can do what you did before and you try to do exactly what you used to do when you were younger, but you haven't trained at all. And the first thing you do is you pull a hamstring, and you'll be out for the you know six eight weeks if you do that at least. So I would say I would advocate that you start doing practice what you're going to be doing. We say, you know, play the sport to play the sport. So in our throwers, we, you know, you throw the ball. You may do it at lower intensity, shorter distances. But same thing for you're going to be sprinting around the bases. I would start doing those things, but you ramp up slowly. Don't kill it initially. You know, first your pants, then your shoes, right? Yeah. Uh, But I would say that's your number one thing. Now, can I just avoid sprinting around the bases by hitting a lot of homers? Yeah, if you just hit it out of the park, it's it's a moot point. We don't even have to be doing this, you know? So all good that way, and you can be on my team. Dr. Cole, uh, we've got
0: a couple couple minutes left. Um, what are you seeing uh, on the women's side, the girls' side, uh, the female side with uh, coming into your office now that we're starting some spring sports?
1: Uh, I will tell you, it's still ACLs. Is you it know, I, I uh, more last, again more yeah, females last, than last males with ACLs. Right. Five, last Thursday, five female, no male ACLs. You know, it's crazy. Um, and I think that um, as they're starting to get it ramped up for soccer, uh, finishing up basketball, it's pretty much been a, the whole season. Even uh, the ski season was probably four or five to one women to men uh, with ski injuries. So, yeah, I just think, you know, what we know about ACL injury is that there's five or six uh, motor patterns that women have to their detriment that lead to ACL tears, like very strong quads, weak hamstrings, uh, uh, jumping and landing with uh, abnormal hip and knee flexion, um, uh, uh, weak glute medius. Uh, They tend to be more knock-kneed, so these things become more critical. Um, those are some of the things that are really critical. So, there are these prevention programs were actually looked at in the NCAA in women, and they were shown to reduce the incidence of ACL tears in females by 35%. So, I would say that uh, those, who, those of you who have young kids who are starting to ramp up in soccer and they're maybe in more than one league, they're doing a club sport and school sport at the same time. I would really encourage you to in, in, investigate some of these ACL prevention programs. We have them at Midwest Orthopedics. A lot of the physical therapy chains that uh, uh, certainly the sponsors of our show, uh, Athletico and ATI, they all have these uh, uh, programs available. And I would encourage you to because unfortunately, even though we know a lot about this, um, the trainers, the coaches at that level are not always uh, uh, properly educated in terms of how to integrate it because they don't have a lot of time to work with your kids, so they just get right on to practice. And this should be a, a basic part of your kids' training. Good deal. How are your trainings uh, coming along? Uh, they're You're good. Busy, I always, you get them you know, in, I get them in, but I, I could always, I always want to do more. Yeah, I do know? too. If I get my two, <laughs> three a week, I'm happy. But you really need, you know, for us, we need four or five a week and at a, at a high intensity.
0: All righty, we are out of time for this edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Many thanks to our producer, Shane Reardon, our coordinating producer, Teresa Ann Seeger. also want to thank David Cole for managing our website at sportsmedicineweekly.com. And also he does our business operations. And then there's Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Many thanks, Sam. For Dr. Brian Cole, I'm Steve Cashel saying so long. And thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on 670. The score up next on the score, early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Have a wonderful Saturday, wonderful weekend, everybody. Talk with you again next Saturday at 8 a.m. Only on 670 The Score.
1: You've been listening
0: to Sports Medicine Weekly, heard every Saturday morning at 8 with Dr. Brian Cole and Steve Cashel, only on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station.